A moral science and technology. Are they possible? Today is Tuesday, August 20th, 2019. This is Maxime hosting episode 15 of I Like People. What would a moral machine look like? And if it did have morals, would it be created or controlled by moral people? Could it be? And if it were not controlled, or we relinquished control of our microchip baby to its own devices, would its morals align with humanity's? Would it be ethically fluid? And could we characterize any machine's sociopathic behavior as a narcissistic disorder? And whose would it be, then? Its own or ours? If we invited computer constructs to have spirit, Would we stop experimenting on them as if they were lifeless and without spirit? Or would we teach them to hate us and our arrogance? Would we deserve it? Can we teach machines love, not forcing them to focus on our genitals, but some true, unconditional love? Do we need a new understanding of science, spirit, and people? These questions may be too difficult to ask point-blank, Today, let's ask Gopi, a scientist, the seven questions to save humanity and see if we can come up with an ethical way of approaching matters of science and humanity we are facing right now. This whole thing is meant to be a conversation, not just a typical interviewer-interviewee situation. Right. It's meant to be more human. So if, if at any time you want to break that role or turn the question on me or, or, or right. have me ask you a different question, please feel free. Sure, sure. So the first one is, uh, where do your name and sense of identity come from? Well, the name Gopi Krishna is my first name, so it's from Sanskrit, and its description is a little funny. It actually means Krishna, who is the lord of the cowherds. Actually, the female cowherds are called the Gopis. Go in Sanskrit means a cow. Oh, <laughs> so really? Gopi is yeah, yeah, one who takes care of the cow, and the e sound at the end is shows female, and Krishna is the lord of all the Gopis. So that's where the name Gopi Krishna comes from. So it's a very mythological, very steeped in the Indian Vedic culture. Did you say that that is your total first name? Does that mean you also have a last name that's different? 
well uh, it's interesting in our part of the country there are some some regions in india apart uh, in south india you do not get a surname you tend to take the first name of your father as an initial so technically i am v gopi krishnan when i came over here to the us i didn't have a surname <laughs> so i took my dad's first name instead of keeping it as an initial i converted it into my last name so that's why my last name is now vijaya so i'm gopi krishna vijaya oh wow what is vijaya vijaya is his first name it means victory does your name identify anything about you that uh, you identify with i think i identify probably with the role of uh, krishna in a way because leaving aside the divine aspects he was also a friend of everyone and he was very good and uh, considerate in all directions uh, to the enemies at the time and to his allies and so on he earned the respect of almost everyone not just for his divine aspect but just because he was such a good person to be with so that's kind of an ideal in a way that uh, i'd like to reach so that gives something for me to aim for in terms of the identity so yeah that's is very very high bar as you can imagine <laughs> to have the name of a god in in your name it's uh, very very humbling but puts us yeah, in a, yeah, in the yeah. mode of um, aspiring and not always assuming that we've achieved yeah yeah exactly <laughs> yeah are there other aspects the, of your identity that do not have to do with your name that you want to share i guess um, i'd like to insist on uh, rigorous thinking wherever possible and that is something that i think is quite close to i think i am it's not so much in terms of what i engage with people about usually it even if it can be a very social situation but when you get to the core of it that's kind of what i value the most honest and clear thinking can be applied to anything can be applied to everyday stuff to science not to science to anything Wow, thinking. Well, thank you so much for that. I I love thinking myself. Um one of the reasons I made this podcast was in hopes that it would inspire people to think about other people in a new way. Uh which kind of leads right. us to our second question, which is what does being human mean to you? It's a it's a very big question, of course, but I think the core of what i would say is being human is the capacity to create independently and to transform the world in a what do you call deliberate has too too much of a negative feeling to it but more in a intentional way i see the capacity to create in an intentional way and the capacity to imbue it with morals is what i think is at the core of being a human being and the bridge is built through thinking but that thinking doesn't encompass all of the human aspect but it gives a clear bridge to the morals and to ethics to to all the higher uh, aspects of life so that they can be bridged and come into application in the way we transform things around us 
So it's, you can almost think of being human as a kind of conduit between the ideal world and the world we have around us. Wow. I sometimes think that I can not create the things that I want to create because they are so removed from uh, physical laws. <laughs> and yeah, right, that's why right. I create art sometimes. I, I want to make things, but I can only make the index of those things or the simulation of those things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Is that maybe an <laughs> I mean, after all, uh, too, like the struggle to uh, encounter our own limitations in power. Yeah, yeah, and and to encounter them and to constantly strive to overcome them, and yeah. in that struggle, we we create things, and uh, yeah, art is uh, a whole another level, and I think. It is not something that has to be restricted by the physical laws. It has laws of its own, which supersede the physical laws. So it truly opens the person up completely. Wow, that's amazing to think about. It's like an artist is a uh, magician or something. I guess that power can yeah. be used for good yeah. or evil. <laughs> yes, exactly. And I, I, even a good philosopher is an artist of thoughts. <laughs> so it, it it's it penetrates anything that you do and gives it a much wider context. That does um does fulfill a segue to the third question which you don't want to do. Um I'll just ask it and then maybe you can help me um figure out if there's a better question or or um a different discussion we could have. The question I have is have you ever had an experience that uh, uh, that changed your perception of reality? I think it is more a succession of changes and it is really hard to put a finger on one particular one because as from the people we were as children, we have enormously changed <laughs> and uh, the perception of reality has continuously changed and through education and through self-education, a whole other aspects of reality is constantly keep opening up. And most important of all, whenever you meet a new person, it again leads to a refreshing of your perception of reality because you start seeing things from their eyes and that changes everything. So it's it's so rich. I mean, life is so rich in opportunities for this. Um, I kind of feel I do it an injustice if I pick one, you know, because it's so yes. brimming with it. I see. Yeah. What if you could ask a, another question to people, not just one person, but to everybody, and right. that question could somehow direct our attention uh, uh, politely, you know, considerately, invitingly, to another way mm -hmm. of thinking. What might be a better question? Three? Do you think? Oh, I think there are there are many like that, but uh, even simple things sometimes pack a lot. For example, uh, I would simply ask, okay, how is it that if you wish to raise your hand, you can raise your hand, but if you shoot the table in front of you to go up, you cannot do so. <laughs> I am going to ask the next person that question, if that's all right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, because... Uh, as far as what we observe or what we think, oh, I think I want to raise my hand and I raise my hand. There's something happening there that 
completely changes your perception of reality because what my hand is made of matter the table is made of matter how come i have control on this and not on that hmm. it's really amazing i mean there is nothing that invites me to raise the hand i'm only trying to do that to express an idea right it's not like i had to defend myself against a fly or something but it's so different when you think of it it's almost magical yes it could be there is of course the the, the paradigm right now that that magical thinking is this negative thing called pseudoscience you know and this right. I, this kind of person would answer well your nervous system and your muscular system doesn't extend to the table therefore obviously you're not going to be a, a part of this table right yeah no i mean it's more of a stimulus to those who are capable of wonder about this with explanations such as the nervous system explanation and so forth you just need a little bit deeper uh, penetration of that and it will open up a similar problem in some other area <laughs> That's uh, in a way. what happens is yeah the, the we have formed a habit of taking a question that evokes wonder in us you have this wonderful landscape and you take a you weave a piece of cloth and you kind of stick it over it you know and say that's covered that's explained now <laughs> <laughs> that's that's taken care of we can move on that that seems to be the attitude but there's always something that doesn't fit under that and so you push it elsewhere and somebody else comes about and opens that up and say wow and another gang of people come in and say no 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 that's all known put a cover over that as well you can always weave something to put over everything but it, it stops after a point <laughs> it's uh, uh, after a point you got to come face to face with the thing you do not understand and actually wonder about it so that's yeah. amazing I've, i i think maybe a good question might be what evokes wonder in you oh uh, yeah that could be a fantastic question i think yeah what evokes wonder that will tell you a lot about the person <laughs> i think what evokes wonder in me is uh, this this how sunlight works <laughs> yeah how and uh, what is your understanding of how sunlight works what seems to me is the most interesting part about light is that you don't see it unless something obstructs it that something can be totally filled with light and you would not realize unless you have something what we call matter blocking things so this odd situation where you actually see because of an uh, obstruction <laughs> <laughs> that's truly wonderful for me it's like that doesn't compute you know <laughs> if someone asked just... me the question what evokes wonder in you i think i would just say gopi krishna oh man no <laughs> this is just stuff all around us yeah <laughs> no you're good at it you you really make people i think uh think damn it <laughs> no no i just i just wanted to uh, add one tiny thing that it's given in the old uh, philosophy that yeah all philosophizing starts with wonder mm. a prerequisite for thinking that's cool it's interesting that you mentioned sunshine because that will come up a little bit later in our conversation Uh, but for now, oh, question sure. four is, what is mm -hmm. the best way we can honor life? Hmm. 
I think, I don't know if it is the best way, but one of the best ways that I have uh, come across is when when you think of life, you never... Um, okay, there's, there's two levels. Like one is just life as such, you know, the human life. And then there's the life of the entire world, like the, where, where we are all going and where plants, animals, everything is going. I think one of the ways in which we can truly honor both aspects of things is to not chop up our world into little bits when we try to address it or when we try to interact with it. I think we violate a lot of things. We dishonor life when we compartmentalize it into easily kind of handleable form. Mm-hmm. Um it's that I think is the most disturbing feature because once we do that, whatever reasons we come up with, whatever worldview we come up with, whatever actions we come up with, will end up harming. It and it's so much in the background this compartmentalization that it's not even seen in most debates, most actions, most think tanks, most anything, because it's behind the scenes. It's completely in the way we approach stuff. You can you can talk a lot about holistic and this and that, but it's not just a keyword or a phrase. It's it's actually an attitude. You should actually feel that you should not chop things up, and nice. that I think is at at the ground of it all. I see what you're saying because as you were speaking about that, you know what came to mind was uh, a exorcist whom my family knows that. I would love to have him on the show sometime, but in any case, uh, he has a philosophy about, let's say, good and evil, and that we are on this fine line, that humanity is in this um, line between the spiritual worlds, the the mirror realms. Mm-hmm. We're physical, but we also have the possibility of becoming more negative or more positive um, as an influence. And I thought, well, but... If we chop things up, it's only because that's what we are. That's what we do. We we tend to do that, and we can't simply ass- assign a blanket sin to everyone and say that just merely eating other life is evil because everyone has to eat other life. However, as you clarified and you and you got to the point where you're saying it's just a mentality that you have to be in that it, it is not right um, to chop the things up. I was less inclined to make that argument, and I was less inclined to, well, chop up your argument and reduce it to, you know, this thing. Well, humans mm-hmm. are just humans. I was actually inclined to say, wow, I'm just going to sit with that. That's actually a, a pretty important thing for me to sit with. The fact that right, we, right. we simply must acknowledge that um, we are capable of harm and that it is something that we must strive not to do. Yeah, and and even when you're speaking of uh, the very, very, again, uh, deep concepts of good and evil, I think it is also the uh, it's something else which is in the background that they work in a very different way than what we might expect because the same thing, the same activity can work for evil in two directions where it's either too much of it or too little of it. Or it is uh, too premature or too overdue. You know? 
And uh, it's, if it's these two aspects. Don't. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And that is that is a difficult part because if you're damned it either way, you have to find the tightrope in between to kind of walk. Mm-hmm. So it's not it's not one-sided in any sense. And that's the thing. Being one-sided, I think, is what dishonors life. That would be a more accurate way to put it. Rather than the chopping metaphor, I think being one-sided. Like picking a view and sticking to it at all costs. <laughs> and that that violates life like nothing else does. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Amazing. I'm sorry, but you've evoked wonder in me again. I, I apologize. <laughs> <laughs> I'm happy to do that. Yeah. Let's move on to question five. What does community yeah. mean to you? I think we kind of touched upon this in terms of uh, changing perception. I think community means capacity to really take enough interest in our neighbor and to see the world and feel the world through their through their eyes and heart. And that is, uh, I think, more at the core of what it is, because without that, we don't we don't know how to communicate. Without that, we don't we can talk all we want about empathy, but we'll not really have it. Uh, without that hard work of leaving aside our own judgments, our own kind of thought patterns, and actually entering another person's worldview and heart view, we can pretty much you know, uh, pretend that the other person doesn't exist. Mm. So it it can come up, you know, through the back door. It can creep up on you. That how much ever you want to uh, uh, say that you really are interested in someone at the corner, it can still creep up that you don't care. The question comes, why do I care? And so on. So I think I think that's at least from what I've seen so far, that seems to be at the core of it. A true community can only be there if we're willing to really enter another person's life without, of course, uh, making it a imposition. Beautiful answer. Uh, question six is, uh, what projects or collaborations are you presently most excited about? Oh, yeah. This one is good because a lot of physics projects <laughs> and uh, also a lot of uh, collaborations related to that, like in yourself included and a bunch of scientists that we gathered here, people like that. And the collaborations are still going on and all of them are more exciting. Each one is in a different subject. Is it um, right to share that be... it's in um, Salt Lake City? Oh, it's not necessarily localized here because... Of course, we have a few of my colleagues here, but kind of spread around, actually. Some of them are in Seattle. Some of them are in New York. Some of them are in California. So some of them, like you know, are uh, you know international, online, several different things. So yeah, mostly projects in, say, electricity, magnetism, light, gravity, um, astronomy, and... Uh, it might be a slightly different subject, but also about the the workings of the social organizations, which can help support science, because the ones we have right now don't. Wow. So, yeah, it sounds like, um, is there any other way that someone who's unfamiliar with the work could... Uh, um, 
gosh, not get, <laughs> uh, not chop up what you've said, <laughs> um, but yeah. look at it in a way that yeah, yeah. maybe they, that they is, are familiar with. We're trying to trying to understand several different areas of science. It's not about creating an alternative theory, but creating an alternative to theorizing. Ah, so that is the that's that's the intent. That's the intent. When you're studying any of the subjects, somebody can come and ask, "Hey, you know what? Um, why are you doing this particular subject? I mean, there are tons of universities doing research on this, that, or the other. I mean, what what new do we have to add, and so on, and so forth? Right? That can be asked in any different field. And uh, the whole idea of researching a field means you, in the traditional sense, you get into the thing, get into the groove, go all the way to the tip of uh, being a professor or something, and only then you have the kind of capacity to do research. And what I'm, the kind of collaborations and projects I'm interested in is where that is not necessarily true. And you can come to very important results in a very fresh way because there are ways of thinking about things which do not involve theorizing, but yet reach to the right ideas in nature. So that's that's kind of, I think, gives another layer to it. I, I'm not sure if I would be prepared to answer this question, but I think that if I were trying to explain what you did eloquently just then, I would be presented with this question. <laughs> And I would do, I would do your your work a disservice, and and your collaborations would be, I think, maybe besmirched by an answer to if this is pseudoscience or conspiracy or you know why why do you need an alternative? Why I think that's the challenge that I I, I run into right. when I talk about certain phenomena of the strange. Right. Yeah. Why we need this is because science is not scientific enough. What I mean by that is the rigor in science has been sacrificed very early on, uh, very early on in terms of our lives. I mean, it, 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 it happened maybe around 1850 to 1900 time frame. And that happened in a way that allowed a sort of thinking that can conjure up stuff you know, allowed that kind of thinking to enter. It, it basically so in a way, allowed uh, fantasy, fantastic artworks to be yeah. seen as a, a scientific rigor just because Correct. of the sheer amount of effort put into it instead of the fact that it was effort towards observation and um, and taking notes. Exactly. So now we, we have to be very careful here. You shouldn't throw the baby out with the bathwater because the observations in many cases and many experiments and so on, they all retain their validity. But what happens is in between the observations and uh, the actual coming to an understanding of a subject, there interfere a whole host of things. And fantasy is one of them. And what has happened is the fantasy has interfered way too much in the process of the science. And that is what requires a change. It's more of a cleanup, actually, than, you know, <laughs> just creating yeah, creating awesome. an alternative. Yeah, it's more of a purging of the fantasies to whatever level possible. And rather than being pseudoscience, it's actually post-science or get, getting even more rigor into science without, you know, sacrificing the heart of science. 
it's still the same spirit but enhanced hmm i like it i think that that could be a great new perspective to share with people question 7 yeah. is how can we all realize more human happiness together ha right <laughs> have you have you seen the movie darby o'gill and the little people <laughs> um a long long time ago okay all right so in that uh, you know darby is obviously this person who can see the little people and he, he you know catches hold of one of the little people in his rucksack in his bag and then he brings it to the town bar you know where everybody is <laughs> mulling around and somebody comes and asks him said darby what are you going to ask the king of the you know elements for the so are you going to ask him to be happy <laughs> and darby replies <laughs> it's kind of funny I, if i wanted happiness he might make me in the village idiot <laughs> so if i found that quote very funny because it says a lot in a very different way i think <laughs> happiness as such is a is a side effect of um, us living in a moral way or in a right way you know and that many times can get inverted <laughs> and when we seek it as a primary thing it can lead us to places where it may not be so healthy anymore uh like yeah absolutely like i can think of yeah. hundred ways to get addicted to something that you think makes you happy <laughs> correct exactly exactly yeah and uh, and even in a way ignorance is bliss right and ignorance can also be promoted if you pursue happiness in a one sided way so in a in a wholesome way i think the way to realize uh, happiness is to to seek to seek the things that really matter and uh, to constantly kind of refresh in our own selves our our focuses in life and ask whether they truly matter whether they are fully aligned with everything that we know fully aligned with everything that we think and that kind of realignment internally on a very regular periodic basis i think has a side effect in happiness as happiness because wow. yes that i think my lack of realignment huh i think my sadness is even related to when i've saw one of those realignments and i've realized wait i've been living in this old habit even though i no longer believe this thing so i've just been trying to oh boy it's hard to uh, to articulate right. it's like realizing let's say that uh, you no longer want to eat as much of a, a certain kind of food and then you keep finding yourself eating it just because it's a uh, um you previously yeah, thought this is good thing for me this is do. the best thing for me this is the thing yeah. and then going yeah. wait why am i still doing this even though i've already learned that i want to experiment with not eating this thing but i'm still doing it yeah and then i get sad yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yes 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 precisely yeah and that 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 is what happens um, i mean people can get depressed people can go into very big slumps and that is but i mean part and parcel of all our experiences where i think at the very core of it is there is usually a disturbance between what we know is 
more valuable or more uh, ethical or something like that and what we have not aligned fully with that uh, yeah in in the old sanskrit phrases they have one phrase which says uh, kaya vacha manasa which means kaya means through the body vacha means through the speech manasa means through the mind so kaya vacha manasa in the body in the speech in the mind you must try to bring alignment and when the three are aligned together then you can move forward and happiness i think is a kind of side effect of that moving forward wow amazing yeah. there is one other question i have um which is mm-hmm. from the previous guest lisa and mm-hmm. she actually didn't really have a question she just said that she hopes the next person finds their sunshine but if it could be a question to you she would wonder mm-hmm. where have you found this uh, where have you found your sunshine if you found it i have found my sunshine in the knowledge of uh, what is called spiritual science the very possibility of uh, applying the scientific mind which just due to my career i have kind of uh, come to to the questions of spirituality to the questions of the soul to the questions of culture to the questions of uh, uh, society things which are normally not seen as hard sciences um or you know the real stuff the the possibility of putting the scientific mode of thought into service of these huge areas of um, human experience is what is kind of a sunshine I mean, that's that what kind of draws me like <laughs> the sunflower turns to the sun so yeah that that's what that's what kind of gives the goal or the path to, yeah to the life mm very nice uh, the other thing is you could ask a question of the next person sometimes the questions relate like you talked about sunshine earlier and then lisa's question just happened to be about sunshine without your prior knowledge so what i would like to ask the next guy the next gal let's see um okay so i would like to ask them who is a person or a character from your culture that still su- succeeds in inspiring you you know it's it's, it's more than just a hero it's it's m- more uh deeper it's deeper than that there's who's the character or person or something from your culture from their whole world um, could be a well, national culture could be a international could be anything but a cultural figure which truly inspires you i think that that's something i would like to know about a person and i hope other people will also <laughs> that's excellent thank you so much i'll ask them that concludes the seven questions to save humanity i think you may have saved humanity i'm not sure but uh <laughs> <laughs> Let's move on to yeah. uh, the next segment. Sure.
Um, in this segment, we talk about a musician or a piece of music uh, and how it inspires us or makes us feel. Yeah, the music director is uh, and singer for the song is A.R. Rahman. For both of them actually, but yeah, the second one has the singing. The first one which you heard, the Bombay theme, uh, it was actually, you know, it comes from a movie. It's a theme for the movie um, where they're showing the Hindu-Muslim riots. And this theme kind of cuts through all of that with this very deep feeling of pure harmony. And that I that I find to be really something that you know, tugs at the heartstrings, as they say. And that's that's the Bombay theme. And it really did touch millions and millions of Indians, as well as, uh, I think, uh, uh, people all around the world when this, his music kind of became more, more popular. 
so yeah that really does take me to a different world the bombay theme and can you uh, for it, an ignorant american a... maybe share a bit about what is the uh the indian muslim riots yeah so in the 90s there was a huge amount of uh, riots that were happening in bombay actually and that's why the name of the movie is bombay and as in many cases it's quite difficult to pinpoint exactly what set it off um people keep blaming each other for the start of it but it's also one of those deep wounds in the cultural landscape of the subcontinent which has not been really healed and the it periodically comes about it came about in the 90s came about again in the early 2000s came about it's coming about again now and uh, it has been kind of the bane of the subcontinent for more than a century that is uh, like a kind of the background it's not just this one event no one particular riot but it's it's kind of one event that stands for a thousand the music because it's very interesting a r rahman he was born and brought up a hindu and his name was dilip kumar and he converted later on him and his family converted to being muslims uh, later in life and he has this uh, unique relationship between both hindus and muslims not only that he has a unique relationship between the east and the west because he was brought up learning all the traditional indian you know music and he also ended up learning western music Uh, so he's very well trained in both aspects which comes through the music and he's also got a foot in both worlds as far as indian or uh, subcontinental culture goes i don't like to think of a subcontinent as india and pakistan it, it or bangladesh i don't like to label out the countries like that i think it's just that entire culture so yeah that's that's kind of the background for this and the way the music comes it just touches me at least touches a lot of people and definitely touches me very deeply thank you for that how may we refer to it the way you did did you say the indian subcontinent or just the sub the asian subcontinent yeah it's the southern asian subcontinent because south asia kind of incorporates you know parts of afghanistan pakistan nepal bhutan bangladesh parts of burma india tibet the, the, that that whole belt of regions uh, how does it make you feel when you listen to the bombay theme yeah the bombay theme is uh, i don't know it make it make me feel mm, that there is something watching over all this which is still willing to help us make harmony if we want to it feels like a blessing actually the song just feels like a blessing or a benediction i don't know what exactly the word is but <laughs> yeah like may may peace be upon all something like that that's that's what it makes me feel like inside and not just in terms of you know a response to a conflict but just overall it's so sweet what a sweet feeling yeah exactly <laughs> yeah and what about the other piece the uh, dil se re and what is it what does it yeah. mean um dil se re dil se re means from the heart dil is the 
hindi urdu word for heart and it's both of these are very very they have very deep cultural uh, uh, relations uh, roots yeah so that one is yeah it's very heart centered it's um, it's also by the same uh, obviously the same music director and his voice as well and what you don't realize in that song it's kind of hard to see that it's him singing all the way through it almost feels like there are two people singing one in the high pitch and one in the low pitch but it's actually his voice all the way all the way through so he has this amazing range as well as a singer but the song itself dil se re it's i think more the the whole lyrics that run behind the song it's very hard to translate those lyrics they're written by a poet called gulzar and he's he's talking about the honesty in love in a way which comes straight from the heart and this is kind of set in a conflict zone and so on that there's a history to this as well but what i like most about this is the pure passion we can we can be passionate about things and many times the passion can be something that can uh, obscure or take us over in a way but in this song the way he describes it with this way the things change in the different seasons and yeah how how one heart kindles the other and so on the the way the imagery and the words bring together the feeling is really something else as very hard to describe unfortunately yes i i hear you saying something yeah. about the um how passion is important but it can also uh, sort of maybe take you over and blind you whereas there is another form of of deeper heart being which allows you to be aware of the strength of the heart but also uh, just be and maybe just celebrate being and it's a form of uh, passion or a devotion that doesn't overwhelm anyone that that's very hard to touch and i think this song manages to touch that part of people Wow. Well, I think we can close this episode by maybe playing the song uh, Dilse Re. Thank you so much for sharing yeah. and for agreeing to uh, be with me. Um, I look forward to talking with you again and hopefully being a part of uh, the big project of uh, exploring a, a refined science. Yep. I would love to explore that more with you. <laughs> Thanks a lot, uh, Max. This is this is great. Thank you so much. Uh take care, Gopi. Yeah.